Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. We are so excited that you are joining us for the show today. This podcast aims to explore a biblical life view in a conversational tone. Let's join our host and founder of Servants of Grace, Dave Jenkins, for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome back to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. My name is Dave and I'm the host for this podcast. And with me today, I have my friend, David Steele. David, welcome back to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. Thank you, Dave. Great to be here. Yeah, man. Hey, can you just catch us up? What's going on with you since the last time we talked? And what are you working on? You bet. Well, my wife and I are getting ready to celebrate 28 years of marriage. Our oldest daughter recently graduated from Corbin University. And you have a son who's a senior in high school playing football for one final year. And we are here in our eighth year at Christ Fellowship in Everson, Washington, just south of the Canadian border where I serve as senior pastor. So we're entering our fall season, busy in ministry. My wife's teaching a women's class. I'm teaching a men's class. And so our schedules are super packed, as you might imagine. And then, of course, I'm, I'm working on a handful of new book projects. The most recent is a, a project that will be entitled Spineless, Restoring Courage and Conviction to the People of God. So I have plenty to, plenty that keeps me busy. For sure you do. Well, can you uh, tell us a little bit about your book, A God Where Gaze, The Holy Pursuit of John Calvin, why you wrote it, and how is it being received? Well, the story behind uh, A God Where Gaze is a pretty interesting story. So it was about a year ago, and I was doing some counseling with a young man who was struggling, as as many people do. And after listening to him for a while, I, I simply stopped him, and I said, I named him by name, and I said, you need to listen carefully to the wisdom of one verse in the Old Testament. And the verse was found in Isaiah chapter 66, verse 2b. And the verse simply says, But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. And the young man looked at me and he asked with all the sincerity he could muster, what does that look like in the real world? What does it look like to be a a humble man, a a contrite man, a a man who trembles at God's word? And so we, we talked about that verse and shared back and forth and concluded the counseling session. And I determined that if this young man was struggling to understand the meaning of that verse, surely he wasn't the only one. And so I I set out to write a short book that that would unpack those three qualities. And as I began to write, John Calvin kept popping in my mind as a man who is a man who embodied the qualities set forth in that verse. And so I essentially used Calvin not as a perfect example because he struggled with sin like every other man or woman does, but as an, an earthly example of what it means to to, to be a man of humility, contrition, and one who trembles at God's word. I don't know that I knew that story, um, but that, interesting. Yeah, it's an interesting story. Yeah, that that's really uh, that's really cool. I, what was fascinating is after the book was published, I, I tracked this young man down and I gave him a copy of the book, and uh, he had no idea that I had uh, taken this this challenge on. He had no idea I was writing it, and so I, I I gave him a copy of the book and I told him that story. I told him that you, you were the inspiration behind this book, and he, he was speechless. He didn't quite know what to say. So I think it moved him and, and trusted it and encouraged him a great deal. Hmm, that's awesome. Praise God. Uh, who is John Calvin? Well, John Calvin was a, a man who was 
maligned and continues to be maligned by some people within evangelicalism. And it's a, it's a really a, a tragic turn of events because here's a guy who was born in France and was essentially a child prodigy. He studied law and was converted to the Lord Jesus Christ as a young man. And he went on to pastor in the city of Geneva for, uh, for many, many years, most of his adult life, except during a brief period of exile from oh, 1538 to roughly 1541. While, while many, when they think of Calvin, they think of him as a, a theologian. Uh, some call him the theologian of the Holy Spirit, which is news to some people. And so he certainly was a, 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 an astute theologian. But first and foremost, he was a pastor. He taught the Word of God. He preached the Word of God. He counseled with the Word of God, and he would shepherd his flock uh, with great patience and care, all according to the Word of God. And so, as I say in the book, he, he was a man whose gaze was Godward, and ultimately, the, the gaze of Calvin was fixed upon his heavenly home. And so, he died at a fairly young age in 1564, and was buried at his request in a common grave, because he, he simply couldn't stomach the, the idea of people making pilgrimages to uh, memorialize uh, him or the place of his burial. Yeah, you know, it's amazing, is I'll tell people that, tell that people the story of Calvin, and then we get to the point where he's he was put in an unmarked grave, and they're like, what? Right. Why? I'm like, because you, you don't understand what was happening. Like, yep. you know, he, he was, the city was, you know, they, they, the Rome wanted him, wanted the city back, and they would have found him and probably taken his body and done with it, whatever yep. they do. And, yep. and, uh, and or people would have, you know, fl- flooded to the, to the city and, and, uh, you know, celebrated him and and you know it would have been a big deal and they would have you know had a probably a festival and all that around the time and, and on and on it goes you know it, it they, they would have calvin didn't want that he wanted just to to be known for preaching the word and and the gospel and, and helping people and and so yeah it's, that's uh, exactly right and what some people don't realize when i say he was maligned he's not only maligned now and and unfairly so but in the days of the 16th century they, they were naming their dogs after john calvin they they hated him so much. Um, and I, I think there's a great lesson there for for not only pastors but Christians who uh, desire to live in, in this ungodly age, and that is they will be persecuted. We will be persecuted. And I, I could show you letters, Dave, that I still have in my file. My wife tells me I need to get rid of them, but letters where people call me horrible things, people who you name the name of Christ and 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 write horrible things uh, about the man who is supposed to be their shepherd. And so that, that's one of the reasons that Calvin is a great uh, inspiration for me is is he chose to maintain a stance of godliness even in the face of, of opposition. Yeah, that's that's really sad that people say mean things about you and, and uh, yeah, hopefully you don't meditate too much on, on think about no, that. No, of course not. Yeah. But. So so why is John Calvin's theology so crucial in the history of the church? Well, one of, one of the first things that comes into my mind when I think of John Calvin is that he was a master expositor. He would preach verse by verse through the Bible. Uh, he was a first-rate theologian, as we've already indicated, but uh, of course he was vilified by some, uh, but I would maintain that he is one of the most important Christian voices in all of church history. If, if I had to list five of the most influential Christian thinkers, uh, he would be certainly in that list for me, and he is certainly one of the most important theologians in the history of the church. So his magnum opus, uh, Institutes of the Christian Religion, was a bestseller in France, uh, yet you ask 
some Christians in, in our time, in 2019, I would say many Christians have not even heard of the Institutes of the Christian Religion. It was John Knox that referred to the church that Calvin pastored in Geneva as, quote, the, the most perfect school of Christ that, that was ever on earth since the days of the apostles, end quote. That's, that's quite a compliment coming from John Knox, another godly man, about Calvin's ministry. Uh, one writer who has been a, a, a big encouragement to me, his name is David Hall, he spoke about John Calvin and he said, quote, a single man with a heart of flame changed the world. I'll never forget when I read those words, and those words resonated with me, and I think he's right on target. So here's a man, uh, speaking of Calvin, whose pastoral ministry began in the city of Geneva, a city of about 12,000 people in the 16th century. And I, I live very close to the city of Linden, which uh, the last time I checked, I had about 12,000 inhabitants. So I can imagine what it would be like in my mind's eye to pastor in, in a community like Geneva. But the ministry began to spread. It began to impact lives, not only in Geneva, but Calvin's influence was felt all around the world, not only in the 16th century, but continues to be felt uh, in our day as well. Yeah, that's that's a wonderful explanation. What is the mission Calvin engaged in in Geneva, and why is it so important? That's a huge question. I'll give you a, a real short answer. I think his mission was, was multifaceted. Um, he brought much-needed reform to both church and the culture where God sovereignly placed him. Uh, his mission influenced education with the founding of the Academy at Geneva in 1558, I believe. Uh, his mission was pastoral, as I mentioned a moment ago, and he was, uh, from start to finish, committed to expository preaching, verse-by-verse expository preaching. And his mission was also theological, as he would unpack the Word of God in a, a clear and a coherent way. And so I, I have been deeply impacted by his ministry, and I know many others have been as well. That's that's really well said. How did, how did Calvin's doctrine of God and the gospel shape his understanding of humility in the Christian life? Well, that's a that's a sixty-four thousand dollar question, Dave. <laughs> I would say that the answer that that pops into my mind uh, comes in the very first sentence of the Institutes, mm. and Calvin says this: nearly all the wisdom we possess, that is to say, true and sound wisdom, consists in two parts: the knowledge of God and of ourselves. And that is precisely what drove John Calvin, and it is precisely what propelled the genesis of his thoughts in his book, The Institutes. But the sentence that I turn to more than any other in The Institutes is right at the beginning. It's a sentence that that really uh, addresses your question at, at a deeper level. Calvin says this, men are never duly touched and impressed with the conviction of their insignificance until they have contrasted themselves with the majesty of God. So when you, when you understand who God is, you have no choice but to live the Christian life as a humble person. And, and certainly Calvin would stumble along the way as a converted man, but that, that was his aim. He truly desired to be a, a humble man of God. That's a wonderful answer. I, I don't have anything to add to that, which as you know is, is pretty rare. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, watch it, mister. Uh, just That's kidding. right. Just kidding. How do, uh, how do Christians grow in humility? Well, we, we jump first to the book of James. We, we, we grow in humility, as Calvin says, by understanding who we are. That's, that's where he begins in the Institutes. Uh, but that leads to a second area, that is that we grow in humility by understanding who God is. So we, we get in, we have a, a very good understanding of who we are and an understanding of who God is. And we grow in our understanding of who God is by communing with him in prayer, by devouring his 
word by, by uh, being involved in a local church and sitting under the, the preaching and teaching ministry of the word. And then there's another thing that would seem obvious that we, we grow in humility by embracing the doctrines of grace. Uh, we believe what the scripture says about our radical fallenness. When we do that, we also believe what the word of God teaches about the doctrine of election. And when we believe what the Bible teaches about effectual calling and definite atonement and perseverance of the saints, what some have called the five points of Calvinism, when we embrace those points, we cannot help but grow in humility. Uh, if you run into someone who embraces the five points and they become arrogant, uh, they, they certainly have not embraced the five points in, in the way that the Bible presents them. And so, um, kind of to close the answer to this question, when, when we grow in humility, um, we do so by measuring everything through the cross where Christ. When every plan, every dream, every activity is measured through the cross of Christ, I believe we, we purposefully pursue humility. It, it, it colors everything we say, it colors everything we do, it colors the, the attitudes and the motivations of our hearts. Well said, really well said. What is what is contrition? Well, contrition, I believe, is the word that probably stumped my friend that I was seated with in biblical counseling. Um, I would say that the, the first thing we need to understand about contrition, that it, it assumes a posture of humility. That is, without humility, we will never be contrite. It's just not going to happen. And so contrition, really to answer the question, describes a person who is penitent, a person who is repentant for being what you might say a, a willing participant in sin. That is, I name my sin, I, I confess my sin, and I purpose before God and before the people in my circle of influence to repent of my sin. So it implies a, a change of lifestyle. It implies a complete change of mind about sin and righteousness. And so a contrite person not only turns from sin, a contrite person turns to Jesus Christ. A contrite person embraces the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's always been perplexing to me when I think about the so-called lordship controversy that erupted in the late 80s when John MacArthur wrote a gospel according to Jesus. It, it perplexes me that that book sparked any controversy because the Lord Jesus is Lord. He is the Savior. He is the King. He is the Sovereign One. But so many people I've seen in pastoral ministry, they want to fight against that. They want to buck the system. They want to be uh, the captain of their ship. But the bottom line is, Jesus is Lord, and we are called to be contrite in spirit uh, and surrender to His Lordship. Yeah, that's that's really, really well said. I think, just kind of going maybe even a little bit further, is you know, um, people have a problem with submission, and, and so when you talk about Jesus being Lord over your everything, um, you know, <laughs> he's He's, he's not only you're doubly owned as a Christian and as Creator and, and Lord, and and there's right. there's no doubt about that from reading the Bible. That's beyond that's dispute. Right. It's it's not even a, that's not even a controversial thing to say. Uh, exactly. But it but it goes back to the idea of submission. Are you are you in submission to Christ or are you still submitted to yourself? And if you're submitted to yourself, you're you're still enslaved to sin, and and so you're not a Christian. Um. So the first thing you have to do is is by the grace of God, uh, God has to open your eyes and and so that you can see and know Christ and right. and turn from your That's sin to to himself and 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 so yeah I think you're absolutely right I, I think you know like that young man he he didn't understand you know what that meant but but you even have uh you know we've talked about this many times there's a lot of young men and and even women that are struggling out there with pornography and and they're in our right. churches and you know I was one of those I was one of those people and uh you know we've talked about that too I know privately and 
and yep. you know, I I remember sitting in the in the church in in Seattle and at Mark Driscoll's church. I'll I'll even name it yep. and and Ballard. And I remember just being struck to the heart, not by it had nothing to do with Mark's preaching. It had to do with just God getting a hold of me and, and showing me how selfish I was. And yep. um, over two Sundays, uh, it hurt too. It really did. It, yep. it, I, I remember I remember the pain and 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 I remember truly repenting. And I haven't had any desire for that ever again um i remember my i even remember uh thinking about this uh, my not that my grandma ever repented of uh, smoke i don't know if she did or not but but she quit cold turkey too so <laughs> there's a history in my family of quitting wow. things cold turkey like like uh smoking and pornography for me and wow. i've quit drinking cold turkey too before and wow. so I, I i don't drink any alcohol around the same i was drinking also around this time and i i completely stopped that too at, at that time so you know it, there was a it was a decided thing where God showed me how I wasn't I was already a Christian but like I was I was I was under I was under discipline and God showed me the horror of my sin and it, it, it made a deep I knew that and I had the categories in my head so I knew what that meant and you know and, and so I would say you know you got to know something about what these things mean but you know if you know and then God shows you your your selfishness and and your sin and and those things like it's gonna devastate you like when you grab hold of it at a heart level it, it's just gonna i know we're gonna talk about maybe we, we're already getting into the next question the marks of a creature it's gonna devastate you and it's gonna cause your there's gonna be a decided turn in your life away from it because if you hate if you hate your your sin that's that's because you're saying that you love jesus and and jesus died on the cross it's like dietrich bonhoeffer said it was it was costly grace that sent jesus to the cross it wasn't a cheap yep. grace and and, and so often what we have is a cheap grace being offered right. instead of a costly grace. And and so we, we have to say to people, hey, look, this 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 sent Jesus to the cross. And so you need to turn away from your sin. And, and I can say it hurts. It still continues to hurt. Uh, and, and it doesn't get any easier the older you get. But it, it, there's great wisdom in what you're saying, David. And you've said it in several different ways. But really to cut through it all, you're saying that contrition involves pain, that, that when we turn from our sins. It's not like uh, checking a card and putting it in the offering plate. It, it's so much deeper than that. And we'll see that here in a second, that contrition truly does involve sacrifice and pain. Yeah. Well, so how do Christians bear the marks of true contrition? Well, I think James helps us out. Uh, James says that we're to draw near to God, called to cleanse our hands and purify our hearts. Uh, in other words, we're to bear the marks of authentic contrition. But then he continues and he says that such a person, and this is what you were just referring to, such a person is wretched, which manifests a, a heart attitude of lament. And so ultimately, assuming the posture of contrition, I believe will bear the marks of true humility. Uh, a humble person becomes a, a person who is contrite in spirit. And so we, we cling tenaciously to the promise of the gospel. We recognize that apart from grace, we will never be uh, contrite before God. It makes me think uh, about uh, some feedback I got a few days ago uh, about this book, A Godward Gave, The Holy Pursuit of John Calvin. And uh, the the feedback was was negative at one point because the the reviewer said uh, there's not enough about John Calvin in this book and I, I actually wrote him a personal email and I told him that you need to understand that I did not set out to write a biographical account of John Calvin I set out to write a book that unpacked the four qualities in Isaiah chapter 66 verse 2 and used the life of Calvin as a template uh, 
to show how he imperfectly uh, strove ever so carefully and, and hard to, to make sure that those were a part of his life. And so the reviewer actually got back to me and thanked me and, and was, was unaware. I think he was under the impression that this was a, a biographical account of Calvin's life and, it, and nothing could be further from the truth. That just goes to show you that reading the book really matters when you exactly. when you read the book. And we're not saying that this person did or didn't, but, you know, it's it's important to be, you know, be thoughtful. But but also, you know, authors love all bloggers, writers, me. I, I love to hear from people. I would rather you, you, you email me in private and let's have a conversation than to, right. than to blast off. And, and then if you, you know, after we talk, uh, you, you feel like you understand, then great, go for it. You know, I'm, I'm, right. I'm not saying you don't share any, any public feedback. I'm just saying, let's, let's try to have some more understanding and, and make sure we, exactly. that's yeah, right. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because as you look at the, the cover of the book, there's a, a portrait of John Calvin on the cover and his name is on the subtitle. But if, if people walk away after reading this book, um, only thinking about Calvin, then, then I have done a, a disservice to the reader. What I want the reader to walk away with is God calls me to be a man or a woman of humility, to be contrite in spirit, to tremble at God's word. And here's an example of a guy who did it imperfectly throughout his whole adult life when he was converted. That's really the, the aim of the book. That's awesome. Wonderful. What is the posture and the marks of a trembling Christian? Well, that's something I discuss in, in the pages of the book at some length, but I, I think the one that stands above them all is this. If, if we are trembling Christians, if we have any hope of being a trembling Christian, we must revere the Word of God. In, um, I believe it's Ezra chapter 4, we find the people of God trembling, literally trembling at the words of God. Uh, later in, in Nehemiah 8, uh, Ezra opened the book and the text says the people bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And I believe that's the missing element in many American churches. That is reverence for the Word of God and reverence for God himself. That's something that's got to change. Yeah, that's that's really well said. We, If we have the right view of, of the Bible, we will have a right view of God and, and we will right. preach the gospel and 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 you know I, I have had many many people around around uh, the city I live in that I've talked to you know they they know they're lost and and they've even said hey I'm lost I'm like oh my gosh did you just tell me that you're lost I'm like because like do you don't even understand what you just did like <laughs> you you tell me that you're lost I'm gonna tell you guys and I told this guy I'm like guess what you want to be found like you, you know where I'm going with that like like this is literally what I said uh, and and he's like yes I do and I'm like well you're gonna have to give up drugs and everything else and and he's like oh and I'm like but let me tell you what you're gonna get and I'm like oh yeah yeah I'm really interested tell me tell me so yeah and it's just amazing how how hungry people are you know they yeah. know they're lost they know that they're they might even say that like I've had that people actually say I'm lost I'm like holy moly um is that an open door or what like how how much more wider do you need somebody to tell you but people are telling you that in so many different ways and yeah. you just have to you just have to you know just have to listen you just have to be and I and just to kind of circle back to what, I, what we were talking about just a minute ago 
you know, when I was living that way, I, I didn't want to talk about Jesus. I didn't want to read my Bible. I was I was ashamed. I was I was apathetic. And you know, that might be you listening today, but that doesn't have to be where you are as you end this show. Even like you can turn away from from that. And there's so much hope. You know, I would love to hear from you. David would love to hear from you. Your pastor would love to hear from you. Um, you know, and, and, and if I if I can just take this a little detour, you know, one of the hardest things I ever did was to tell a pastor that I was I was struggling in um, with it, this enslavement to pornography, and but it was also the best thing that that had ever uh, that I'd ever done, and and it hurt, it really did, but um, it it needed to be done, and and I, I'm so grateful that I did, and you know you will be too. So that goes for whatever you're struggling with today, or or anything. If you're if you're feeling convicted, you know of something as you're listening, I just want to say I I've been there. I know what it's like, and go to, go to Christ with that, and and trust in the perfect righteousness of Christ, and that's and right. then go to your go to your pastor, go to the church, and you know that's why they're there. Uh, go find a Bible believing church, and if you don't know where to find one, you can by golly you can contact me. I'm not hiding anywhere. I'm all over the place, <laughs> and and I will I will do everything that I can to help you find a, a good church. So well, Dave, why do we need more men like John Calvin? Well, I discussed that a little bit in the book, and and. Uh, I'll give you kind of an overview. There's a couple of points that, that I spent some time on. First of all, uh, Calvin understood something very important. He understood that people are transformed by the truth. And my fear is that many pastors and many Christian ministries have, have forgotten that great reality. Instead, we focus on programs. We focus on uh, a pragmatic way of doing ministry. And we neglect what really matters. And so we need to learn the lesson that Calvin learned and taught for his whole adult life, that people are transformed exclusively by the truth. Another lesson is that Calvin understood and modeled the need for courage in times of adversity and persecution. And so the history here is Protestants were, were being burned at the stake in the 16th century. They were being executed for their faith. But Calvin, in spite of it all, he maintained his allegiance to the truth. And I believe that even though we don't see that specific kind of persecution in America, uh, we would do well follow his lead. And then um, I would say that Calvin's gaze, as the title of the book suggests, his gaze was Godward. This was a, a fatal man. This was a man who simply thought to serve God, and in many ways, he was a simple man. And this simple man who sought to obey God, he changed Geneva. And through his example, he impacted countless numbers of people, including uh, myself. So following the lead of a man like Calvin, I believe, would result in depth and breadth in our churches. It was the result uh, in believers who were being nurtured by solid biblical theology, and as a result, those believers will have a passion to take message of the gospel to the nations. But again, it's not about Calvin. It's about the Savior that Calvin served. He's merely a template that helps us to understand what living the Christian life can look like. Amen, brother. Well, Dave, there's, you know, a lot that we could dive into, and we we, we have covered quite a bit in our time together. Just as we uh, wrap up this conversation, can you give us a few takeaways? Absolutely. I think first thing I would say is I would encourage your listeners to read church history. I, I, I almost shudder when I, when I utter those words. Uh, read church history, and the reason I shudder is there was a time in my life where church history was a drag. Church history was boring. I remember I took a correspondence class. It was one of the last classes I took during my university days, and it was a class in church history, and uh, I believe I got a D- minus in that class, and, and so the credit didn't transfer, so I had to take it again, and uh, I actually had a, an excellent professor 
that I was young, I was uh, immature, and I simply was not interested in church history. So I barely passed that class. But one day, I don't remember the specific day or the events, but a light went on in my head. I do remember it was mainly through the influence of R.C. Sproul. Once you get a a taste of church history, once you get a taste of, of God's redemptive purposes, you begin to see the mighty work of his hand and how his redemptive purposes begin to unfold. And in the process, you're introduced to the stalwarts of the faith, and you're encouraged by their boldness and courage. That's that's one of the things I'll address in in my next book entitled Spineless, uh, Restoring Courage and Conviction to People of God, to take a look at some snapshots at some uh, people in church history who were willing to go to the rack for their faith, who were willing to be persecuted and not give up in the face of adversity. And so as you read church history, you're, you're certainly encouraged to be faithful to God and to maintain uh, your commitment to the truth. And one thing I, I hope that this book accomplishes is that it motivates people to actually read John Calvin. It's an interesting story. My, my friend uh, who edited this book for me told me that after reading it, she was compelled to pull the Institutes off the shelf and read it for the first time. And I was thrilled that someone who had never read the Institutes would, after reading this short book, would be motivated to read Calvin's Institutes. But I would take it one step further and say, don't stop with the Institute. Read good biographies about John Calvin. Uh, pick up Douglas Vaughn's book, The Betrayal, a historical fiction book. Uh, read Stephen Lawson's book, The Expository Genius of John Calvin. Uh, pick up the newly reprinted Banner of Truth title, Letters of John Calvin. You want a stimulating book, a book that will uh, inform you, educate you, and inspire you. Read the letters of John Calvin. And finally, I would urge your readers to, to pick up the Reformation Trust reprint uh, that Calvin wrote called A Little Book on the Christian Life. It's a, it's a short book. It's a simple book. I think it's even shorter than the book I've written. But reading such works, I believe, will bring deep encouragement that will have a lasting impact on, on a Christian life and the church as well. Well, Dave, you have hit it out of the park. And with that answer, I, I 100% agree. We need to we need to read church history. We need to know what, what people have, have said and, and why they've said what they have and understand, as you just said, so well the, the context of their life so um really appreciate that a lot uh Steve, I, sh- I, I should add in light of your comments i, I had neglected to mention uh, greg allison's book historical theology which is really a, a companion to wayne grudem's systematic theology and what he does is he he, he unpacks the the various doctrines and and looks at the various branches of systematic theology and shows how the, the development of the doctrine occurred in church history and how the creeds played a part how the councils played a part it is an absolutely stimulating book. And so I, I would encourage your, your listeners to, to pick up that copy, a, a copy of that book by Allison. Absolutely. In fact, I have that sitting on my desk with Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology and a whole bunch of others. Excellent. I use that all the time. So uh, it's a great, great resource. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Couldn't agree more. Um, so so where can people go to find out more about your work, either uh, online, on social media, or otherwise? Sure. I would say the first place they can turn is, is your own Servants of Grace. Um, I really appreciate uh, your kindness over the last few years of posting uh, a lot of my book reviews and, and some of the, the articles that I've written. But you can also find me at my blog at uh, davidsteele.blog, or you can find uh, my books online at amazon.com. Well, Dave, you're you're very greatly appreciated by me. And, and what, I, what I appreciate about you, I don't know that I've ever told you this, but but just it struck me as we're talking here today, uh, you're just very, you're very winsome and you're very well read and um, 
you're just very pastoral and all three of those things um, make you a mighty warrior for our Lord and, and I just so appreciate that about you so God bless you oh, thanks, Dave. I appreciate it brother yeah of course thank you so much for listening we hope that you were encouraged by today's episode don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. For more uplifting and thought-provoking content, please visit us online at servantsofgrace.org. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Servants of Grace and on Facebook at facebook.com slash servantsofgrace. We hope you have a blessed day and we will see you next time.